To those of you who are here in the building and also to those of you who are online, uh, especially if you're a guest with us, we love having guests here. Uh, for our guests, my name is Andrew Graham, I'm one of the ministers here. It's lovely to have you here today. Uh, we're marking the death of Queen Elizabeth today uh, with a minute of silence, which we'll, we'll do so shortly, and some further prayers, and a special choir item, uh, which was arranged for use at her coronation. And also the postlude, the organ postlude at the end of the service is called the, the Crown Imperial, which was also played at a coronation in the past. But we begin by asking for God's help as we gather together in his name. 
With this prayer of preparation, I invite you to join me as we pray together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to read for us uh, a press release uh, from the Archbishop of Sydney, uh, Kanishka Rafal, uh, in relation to the death of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is a profound sadness, the depth of which is difficult to express. Anglicans in New South Wales join with all Australians in mourning her passing. For most people, her reign and her godly example is all we have known. We've delighted in her visits to this nation and to our churches. She's been for many a tower of strength in times of adversity and a model of compassion, faith and selflessness in the service of humanity. But we do not grieve as those without hope. We give heartfelt thanks to God for her long reign, marked by dignity, grace, and unstinting humble service, motiva motivated by her enduring Christian faith. In a moment, I'm gonna lead us in some prayers in relation to the Queen and the new King and those who grieve. But we're gonna have now a minute of, of silence for your own personal prayer. Let's pray. I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who grants authority to those who rule in your world, we thank you for the long and remarkable reign of Queen Elizabeth. We thank you for her example of unwearied devotion to duty, for her steadfast courage, and for the love and loyalty she displayed for peoples in all parts of the world. We also thank you for her enduring trust in you and for her salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father of all mercies and giver of all comfort, we pray that you will deal graciously with all those who mourn the death of the Queen, especially the members of the royal family, for the people of the United Kingdom and for people across the world, that casting every care on you, we may know the consolation of your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And finally, almighty God, who rules over all the kingdoms of the world, we pray for the new king, Charles. We ask that you will let your wisdom be his guide. 
and that you will let justice, truth, holiness, peace and love flourish in his days. We pray that you will direct all his work to your glory and the welfare, the welfare of all. Amen. Now, as the choir comes forward, I'll, I'll just uh, mention again that uh, this arrangement of the famous The Old 100th Hymn uh, was sung at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. So I hope you are able to enjoy this and then I'm going to lead us in some further prayers.
we'll continue in further prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you, the most holy God, with confidence by the cleansing blood of Jesus and with the help of your Holy Spirit who lives in us. Please hear our prayers as we bring our hopes and our concerns to you. In this broken and divided world, our hearts go out to the people of Pakistan, where the effects of recent monsoon rain and floods continue. Now, Father, we ask that as families grieve and struggle to meet basic needs, you would pour out your love and provide for them. And during this time of difficulty, we ask that you would move people there to call out to you and find the comfort and the help that only you can provide. And as we think about the wider world, we thank you for the privilege of partnering with mission partners around the world. And today we pray for Michelle and Andrew Bloomer in Vienna as a new term of English classes begin. We ask that many students that they teach would be drawn to you through their ministry. And we also pray for a solution to some of the leadership challenges in their local church, uh, where two elders have stepped down recently, leaving a heavy load to be carried by Andrew and one of the other elders. And as we consider the question of leadership, we pray too for those who carry pastoral responsibility here at St Matthews, especially for our staff pastoral team, uh, for Bruce and Scott and myself, for Deb, Cezanne, Nathan, Stuart, Trish, Jamie and Barry. Lord, we thank you for those you've placed in authority uh, pastorally over the, these congregations and we thank you for their willingness to serve. We pray that each of us will seek your glory in all that we do. We pray for your protection over our work, marriages and families. As those who watch over us all, uh, to whom you they must give account, uh, we pray for their faithfulness and we pray that all of us will respond to the leadership in ways which honour you and which make their work a joy and not a burden. Loving Father, we thank you for the grace we know in Christ. We pray that we would reflect that grace as we serve and love others, as we love all people in the power of the Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Now I invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Just before we hear the video news for this week, I'll mention that today is the last day you can sign up for the Meals at St Matthew's, which we've been hearing about uh, over the last couple of weeks. They'll take place next weekend. Today's your last chance to sign up. I think John Wood is here, and I think John's got the sign-up sheets. No? Okay. We'll make sure you do. So see John if you'd like to be a part of one of them. Uh, let's watch the video news. Jamie, my pleasure to give you, give you the church news for this week. 
Well, we hope you feel welcome to our, our service today. It is so great having you here with us, and we trust for us you enjoyed your time with us today, especially if you, if you are new at church. A warm welcome to you. We have, a, we have a wonderful online connect card that we'll put you to fill out. It's a great, great way for us to be able to properly welcome you, help you out in any way, any way that we can. I have now two pieces of information that I'd love to, love to let you know about. The first one is that on Monday the 9th, 19th September, we're hosting our next edition of the Onboard course. course. This night is for anyone who is new or newish and, and anyone who is ready to course their spiritual home. Maybe you wanted to get along to the last one and miss well, this, this is also a great chance for you to come along and find out about, about church and what it might look like to get more involved. If that's, that's you, lock it in your diary, Monday night, the 19th of September. And if you are, we would love for you to let us know by either speaking, speaking to one of the staff members' church or filling out one of these, of these Connect cards. The last piece of new jazz church, it is, it is coming up in two Sundays' time. I'm so excited for it, for it. It will be at our 10 a.m., 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. I've never been before, but I've heard so much, much is happening this day. I'm told that this year we're having a, a distinctly African vibe with some African markets also here in the courtyard. It's a great to, and, a, and a great opportunity to invite your friends and your family along. This is also the final call for anyone interested in, in being the choir across the day. If you are, Dave would love to hear, to hear from you. So let by using one of these Connect cards as well. There'll be a rehearsal on Thursday this week and also next, next week. So if you are keen to be in the choir, please, please let us know soon. And that's all from me. Have a great week. Just as the musicians come forward to lead us in our next hymn, our offertory hymn, I'll mention that on, that on that Sunday, two Sundays from now, the musicians have a special program of music for us, accompanied by organ at the 8 o'clock service. Would you stand as we sing together?
As we, uh, please take your seats. As we continue this series of stories in grace, we're going to hear another story from St. Matt's uh, today. This story is from Mark Gilbert, who, who together with his wife Deborah, are members of the Five O'Clock Congregation. Mark's also a local GP, as well as being an ordained Anglican minister. And part of his role uh, as, as a minister is, is to raise up local community chaplains. And he himself is a chaplain at the Freshwater Surf Lifesaving Club. So hope you enjoy his story. Then David will read for us and Bruce will bring God's word to us uh, with the story of, of uh, Rahab. like us to bring his message of great grace sometimes at the most difficult time Hi I'm Mark and I'm one of my wife here at St Matt's and one of the jobs I do here is I work as a, as a chaplain at Freshwater Surf Life Saving Club and I also help other people people that might be thinking about being a community chaplain to think that through and, and support them as they make that decision the only behind community, community chaplaincy is our church is surrounded by lots and lots of these. And there, and there are Christians in a lot of those communities as well. A chaplain is, who's, who's a Christian serving in those communities outside of, outside of church, visibly as a Christian, showing God's love and speaking, speaking God's truth into those communities. Serving as a, a chaplain in Freshwater Fresh Surf Club, um, I'm there often on mornings because that's, that's when a lot of the activities happen around the surf club. I'm an active member of the club, but I'm also there as a support to people within the club that, that might have various sort of issues. And that uh, invitation is, is pretty open-ended. I'm not an expert, I'm not there to solve their issues, but I'm there, but I'm there to help them find help if things come up and to offer a bit of, a bit of wisdom and support. Um, one view that came up recent, recently was a very sad situation when um, there was a death of one of the mothers of three of the girls in our club. A few of the mums in the club asked if I would uh, uh, run something at the club in the days following her death to, to just help people um, think through how do, you, how do you cope with grief, what are some of the support available. Uh, to help people as they're coping with grief. Now, now can we support our children who might be impacted by this as well? As well? I offered to run something at the club to talk through some of, some of these things and to offer areas for help. Um, because of the impact that this uh, woman had on so many people's lives, things quickly got out of hand. And um, I found out um, the next day, actually by reading the news, the news that I was running a, a memorial service at Fresh, Freshwater Beach at 6am in a couple of days' time. Um, so many things could have gone wrong. <laughs> um, there, were, uh, there was a lot of grief in the community at this time. Um, a lot of children were involved. There was even some, some anger around at the shock of the suddenness of death. death. Um, it was probably one of the more scarier, I, I, I can't think of any scary in my head. Um, uh, life, life as a Christian, well, one or two things, but it was up there. Uh, um, but at the same time, um, you know, with, with prayer, prayer and the support of Christians around me, it felt 
a, a great sense of God's presence walking with me through this process as well. I mean, I know God is always, always with me, Spirit is inside me, but over those couple of day, days, there was a particular of God's presence just being there, there sort of each step I forward and that was that was that was really wonderful. One of the things that came, came as I prayed and I, I read the scriptures quite a bit the night before or how Jesus helped people in times of grief and also how Paul spoke to people that weren't part of part of the Jewish or Christian community, um, and I was, con I was convicted that even though this Christian event, this one, this wasn't a church event, and I certainly wasn't being asked to deliver a sermon or to help to help people practically in grief, I'd say that if there was there was a sunrise, I'd point to the person who gave it to us. So we turned up at. It was actually still, still, there was very little wind. It was even warm and there was no rain. People started turning up, mums, dads, teenage kids, all very, all very quiet, quite respectful. I think the calm, calmness and lightness of people that came eased a lot of raw, raw nerves and probably a lot of the raw nerves in the community that were, that were around. Um, by people by Aaron's death. Um, there was no rise. There, there was no rain. It was quite striking, really. Um, I did have the opportunity to speak and, and I spoke about some of the things that people can experience with, with grief and some of the people could go for help and, and help with their kids. And I got to end and I was able to say, hey, but look, as a Christian, I can't but claim that the per person that's given us this sunrise this morning is, and if you reach out to him, you'll find him. Some, someone who couldn't get to the beach took a photo uh, right at the moment that the, that the sun came up and talking, and there was a rainbow direct, directly over Freshwater Beach. Um, I was struck through this episode at the power that God, God has to reach people and the care that he has for people around us. And the amazing thing, amazing thing is uh, he uses frail people like us to bring his messy grace, sometimes at the most difficult times. But I suppose the important thing out of all of this is, is that God is gracious. He loves all around us. And his message of grace is the most valuable thing we as Christians can bring, bring, can bring to our communities. Good morning, everyone. Our Bible reading this morning is found on page 214 of our church Bibles. And can I encourage you to follow this marvellous reading in Joshua chapter 2, page 204 of our church Bibles. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, 
Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Brahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. They may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of the flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down, laid down for the night, she went up to the, onto the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites and of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let down a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, 
their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she, supplied, uh, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days. And the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I think I'm not alone in saying I was very shocked on Friday morning to wake and hear the news about Queen Elizabeth. Uh, it's been a very eventful week and uh, it's good we can stop and have some time to be quiet and pray. Uh, I'm going to now bring us the message and uh, we're in the second week of our stories of grace and we've got a great one with the story of bravery today. So let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your incredible grace towards us and help us to just realise how great your love is for us this day as we reflect on Rahab's story in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question today, uh, which is a very simple one. Um, why do you love God? Now, that might not be something you do do, um, but it's the most important commandment that we're given by the Lord Jesus. And I've got up here on the screen um, his reply when he was famously asked, what is the greatest commandment in scripture? And he said, when you sum it all up, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. It's a very powerful statement that he makes there. It's hard to misunderstand it. The most important thing we have to do in life is to love God. But why do we love God? Why should we love God? I think it's a very foundational question that we need to ask ourselves. Why do we love God? Now, I could give you numbers of reasons for that. But if you were to ask me personally, the reason I love God the most is because of his incredible grace to us and his kindness and his mercy. And I just love the way he transforms the most unlikely lives. And today we've got a story of one of the most unlikely lives being transformed by God's grace. And it's a heartwarming story, the story of Rahab. And as I've gone through this, it just expands my heart in terms of how I feel towards him. As I realise the way he treats us and the way his grace is available to anyone. And so today we come to this story of Rahab. And it is an amazing story. 
Rahab became the great-great-grandmother of King David, who as a result became part of the family line of the Lord Jesus. And when we read about her in Joshua chapter 2, which was what David read for us, you would have to say that she's probably one of the most unlikely people that you would think would become part of the royal lineage of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles there, Joshua chapter 2, we're going to just work our way through uh, the chapter and then reflect shortly on some verses in the New Testament. But let's have a look at the beginning, Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. We read that Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look after the land, over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And so there it is. She's the prostitute named Rahab. Now, just think about that. If you're Rahab, that's how you will be known through all eternity. Not the most pleasant thing, I think, for her, but that's how history knows her. I don't hear many girls being called Rahab for obvious reasons. I spoke with our former women's minister, Kelsey Wilson, uh, this week, who is now a member of our 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock congregation about female prostitution, as Kelsey formerly worked visiting brothels here in Sydney with a Christian ministry to bring the hope of the gospel to the prostitutes who were working there. And she said this to me um, about prostitutes today in Sydney. She said, a prostitute is someone who exchanges sexual services for payment. She said, there's a dichotomous narrative in our modern society about prostitution that on the one hand tries to sell us images of empowered women exercising their freedom to make choices about their own bodies it's a fulfilling working life, is how the narrative runs, and even compassionate service is offered to clients rejected by society. She said that's one part of the narrative. But on the other hand, she said her experience of those working in the sex industry as prostitutes was that these were women who were typically denigrated, abused, stripped of their dignity, and viewed as less valuable humans than the rest of us. That's what she discovered as she went and spoke to them. And I suspect that these truths that she shared about prostitutes here in Sydney were largely true of this woman Rahab as well. Someone far less valuable. Someone who was used and abused. Someone who was right on the outer. And what's interesting to note is in verse 1 that we just looked at, Rahab is linked geographically to the town of Shittim. And the last time that Israel encountered this town was in Numbers 25, verse 1. Now, if you're not familiar with it, that's fairly understandable, but let me just put it up on the screen for you. We read this in Numbers 25, while Israel was staying at Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. And so if you're reading the narrative of the Old Testament and you've read Numbers and you're now up to Joshua, you're already expecting that this lady, who is a prostitute, is not going to be great news for these spies. Here is another woman who is probably going to lead the two spies astray through her sexual charms. But as you read through the chapter, nothing could be further from the truth with this incredible lady, Rahab. Rahab the prostitute is in fact this remarkable woman of faith 
who is part of an incredible story of God's grace and salvation. So we read on in Joshua chapter 2, verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the spies, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. Now, it's quite comical really what you see here. I mean, what are spies meant to do? (laughs) Go in secretly undercover. But apparently everyone at Jericho knows they're there. And not just that they've arrived, but where they're staying. Well, they're with Rahab the prostitute. It's really quite ridiculous. Now, if it seems dodgy that this is where the spies went, and you do have to ask that question, why are they there at the uh, prostitute's house? Uh, There is probably some logic to it, that as outsiders coming into the city, it was probably a frequent thing that men, strangers to the city, might go and inhabit a place like Rahab's, for all the reasons we don't have to think too hard about. And so they might have thought, well, this was a convenient place to go where it would not be obvious but whatever they did everyone knew they'd arrived now in contrast to their incompetence we see this quick thinking lady Rahab in the way she responds verse 4 but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Actually, I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she'd actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she'd laid on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan and as soon as the pursuers had gone the gate was shut. Now what's fascinating is the text leaves us into no doubt as to what Rahab did. Uh, She had incredible courage, she was very quick thinking but she basically lies to the king. I mean there's no other way to put it. She denied knowing them, she deliberately, deliberately misled the king's men to go and leave the city in pursuit of them so that she could protect the Israelite spies. The most generous way you could put it is that she's incredibly shrewd in her dealings with the spy and the king. But let's call it for what it is, she's lying. And I was thinking about this, she's really got two options. uh, Because as you're going to see, she's got this incredible understanding of God. She knows she's got the option of siding with the king and she'll now be destroyed by Israel or she'll side the God of Israel. There's only one of two options. And she throws her lot in with the God of Israel. Now it's interesting, the text does not reflect at all on her lying and the ethics of it. Completely silent. In fact, later in the New Testament, she is commended for her faith. And so because the text doesn't comment on it, I'm not going to comment either. I'll let you ponder the ethics of it. But verse 8, we read on. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, and here you see this incredible moment of faith. 
an expression of faith. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. It's really quite profound, this profession of faith that she makes, when you look closely at what she says to the spies. This prostitute from the pagan city of Jericho knew that the God of Israel ruled the world. He was the God of heaven above and the earth below. And nothing could stop him. She and I presume all the peoples of the city knew about the events of the Exodus. It's interesting, um, it's not recorded in archaeological data, the story of the Exodus, and there's no surprises there. Kings have a habit of removing embarrassing moments of history. <laughs> Which pharaoh of Egypt would want to record that event? But the rest of the world of that day knew all about it. And there's just this fear that seizes the land. And Rahab knows exactly who's coming and what the likelihood of the outcome will be. And she says, I'm with that God. <laughs> I'm changing sides. And you just see this reverent fear she has. And then there's this plea in verses 12 and 13. Now then, and you can just hear the quietness of her voice, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Now there's a very significant word in the original language which is Hebrew which is quoted here by Rahab I've got it on the screen, it's hesed now, I don't normally mention Hebraic words but it is a profound word in the Hebrew language to describe one of the most important characteristics of who God is it's God's kindness it's his faithfulness it's probably the closest word you can get in the Old Testament or one of the closest words for his grace. His hesed. And Rahab here is pleading, please swear to me by your God that you will show hesed to my family. Kindness, mercy, grace. And we don't know if she knew much about the God of Israel, but that was absolutely part of the proclamation about this God within Israel, that he was the God of Hesed, of kindness and mercy and faithfulness to a thousand generations. 
And Rahab wants her family to be part of that experience of faithfulness and kindness for a thousand generations. Rahab is effectively putting her faith in God and his mercy and grace. And that's what biblical faith is. It's knowing that the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the God of heaven and earth, and you throw yourself upon his mercy and his kindness, and you trust in him. And the spy's response, verse 14, our lives for your lives. Sorry, I've jumped ahead there in the, the thing. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. In other words, if you honour your word, we will make sure our God treats you with hesed. And the result is that the spies were let down by a rope and escaped the city safely. Rahab fulfilled what her part of the bargain was. And we read the summary in Joshua, 20, Joshua 6 about what happened when Joshua returned to conquer the city. Let me read it to you. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And then in verse 25, it says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. She became part of Israel. She was blended in as a foreigner. It's an incredible story. The complete outsider is the one God uses to give confidence to the spies that Israel could conquer Jericho. And Rahab the prostitute is shown mercy and kindness and grace. And God redeems her by his hesed. You could say Rahab is a trophy of God's grace. Now, if this is all that you read about Rahab in the scriptures, and there's many stories in the Old Testament where that's all you read is the story, it no doubt would be a great story of God's grace. But the incredible thing with Rahab is that there's more. And when you get to the New Testament and the introduction to the Gospel of Matthew, we read these incredible words about the royal birth line of the Lord Jesus that I mentioned at the start of the service. I'll read from chapter 1, verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel. We read, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, verse 2. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And then we read in verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And then it finishes with the Lord Jesus. And it's fascinating, in Matthew's account of the bloodline of Jesus, 
There are four women and they're all shady at one level. <laughs> there is Tamar who prostituted herself to have a son. There is Rahab the prostitute. There is Ruth who was the outsider, the Moabite woman. And there is also the woman that David took. That's Sheba. And Rahab is one of these four shady ladies who make up the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's quite profound, really. You see, what does this story of grace teach us about God? As we reflect here that Rahab, the prostitute, is part of the royal bloodline of Jesus, the Son of God. Well, to understand what it teaches us about God, I want us to reflect a little bit more about the reality of prostitution and what we're talking about with Rahab. And what this would have meant to her to be redeemed. When I gave you Kelsey's description about the reality of prostitution today, she also said this about the world's oldest profession. She said, there is a narrative about prostitution that works very hard to glamorise the industry in the face of social stigmas about the profession. That it's about, as I said earlier, empowering women to exercise their freedoms, allowing them to make choices about their bodies. But her observation was that this was typically a lie. The truth today and the truth in Rahab's day was far less glamorous. A Uni of New South Wales study about sex workers in Sydney done a few years back found prostitutes suffered with the following. High levels of homelessness, drug use, mental health conditions like depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. 75% of them reported a history of child sexual abuse. 50% reported they'd previously attempted to take their own life. The truth of the effects of this trade, Kelsey said, is that women who engage in it end up with very low self-esteem, the regular danger of physical and sexual assault, and the shame and isolation from social stigmas. We all probably have an image that comes to mind when we think of those engaged in prostitution, but it's a far from homogenous group. In the Sydney brothels that Kelsey visited, she met with university students, mums, retirees, along with women who'd been trafficked. She said some do regard it as a job and see themselves as a professional, but the overriding motivating factor for almost all of them was survival. Most of them want to get out. And from a societal perspective, working women are typically viewed as worth far less in our society. They're seen as morally compromised, lesser in their social standing, plagued by low self-esteem and mental health concerns. And to add to that, when you come to the scriptures, in the Old Testament, if your daughter became a prostitute in Israel, it was considered an enormous disgrace on your family. For not just the woman, but for the mother and the father and for all the others associated, that would bring shame. And I mention this reflection of Kelsey's because it's with a woman like this that God chose to be part of the royal bloodline for his son, the Lord Jesus.
I want you to stop and think about that. This is the woman that God chose to include in the bloodline of his son. It's an incredible story of faith. And two other times in the New Testament, Rahab is mentioned, and it's interesting, they both mention her prostitution. One of them, in terms of the story of grace, is in Hebrews chapter 11. In the hall of fame of people of faith from the Old Testament. And it just simply says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And if you ask me what amazes me about the story of Rahab, It's that God wanted this story to be told and to be known. And he is not ashamed to associate with Rahab the prostitute. Why? Well, I take it it's because he wants it to be known that he can save any and everyone. He wants it to be known that there is no one too far away from his love and his mercy. And God wants people to know that no matter how low a view you might have of your life, he sent Jesus to die for you, to come for you, to find you, and to bring you into his family. Rahab's prostitution background is not mentioned to define her, but rather to remind us about the kindness and grace of God, his chesed. Everyone and anyone can come to God through Jesus. Our God delights to take those who've been written off by the world and make them his trophies of grace. And I want to close with this word to us today. I wonder if you're someone who has written yourself off, who sees yourself as unlovable, or someone who is unimportant, or someone that people walk past and away from, not towards, or someone who has no value in the eyes of others, Or someone who has blown it with God in how you've lived and the choices you've made and that you are too far away from him and that whatever it is you've done, he can't possibly forgive you. Well, if you ever think that way about yourself, I want you to remember this story of Rahab, the prostitute who is part of the bloodline of our Lord Jesus Christ. The story of a social outcast who God redeemed for his glory. A story about a person who became God's trophy of grace. You see, Rahab reminds us that God is for the unlovable. He's for the cast off, he's for the written off, he's for the forgotten ones. He's for the marginalised, he's for the outcast. And no one is beyond God's grace and kindness, no one. And no matter what you've done to yourself, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what others may have done to you, God loves you 
with his everlasting kindness and mercy and grace. His hesed. And friends, this is why I love God. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you can identify with those thoughts of being unlovable or on the outside, I invite you just to come to the living God this day. And just call out to him. He knows you and he loves you. And he wants you to come to him. I'll just give us a moment to pray quietly. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this story of grace. We thank you for your loving kindness to us with all of our frailties and flaws. That you welcome us in. You transform us by your grace and forgiveness. And you make us trophies of your grace. Father, help us to live in a way that honours you and the kindness and love and mercy that we find in and through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing.
practical things. One, a reminder, if you'd like to be a part of the meals at St Matthew's next weekend, uh, please see John Wood before you leave today. Today's the last chance to register for that. And for those of you who are hosting and who are going as guests, uh, we'll be in touch early in the week uh, to let you know of arrangements for you. The second thing is just to let you know that there's um, a number of people who've been uh, part of a, a fundraising effort uh, for um, uh, preventing youth suicide. They're all associated with Balgala Boys High. Uh, we, of course, support Kieran Kolbelke as a, an SRE teacher there. And uh, he's an elite rower and is part of the rowing program there. So you might like to give some encouragement to the boys. And I think it's some parents and uh, teachers who, who are also uh, part of that, that uh, initiative. As we close, uh, let me bring you these words of encouragement from the book of Romans. And I'm going to add a couple of extra uh, uh, words uh, to Romans 15. Uh, brothers and sisters, may the God of hope and grace fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope and grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.